0: You're listening to KZOM, only on public radio. Astounding Stories, May 1931 Dark Moon by Charles W. Diffin Chapter 1 There Comes a New World The 159th floor of the Great Transportation Building allowed one standing at a window to look down upon the roofs of the countless buildings that were New York. Flat decked, all of them busy places of hangars and machine-shops and strange aircraft large and small that rose vertically under the lift of flashing helicopters the air was alive and vibrant with directed streams of stubby winged shapes that drove swiftly on their way with only a wisp of vapour from their funnel-shaped sterns to mark the continuous explosion that propelled them here and there were those that entered a shaft of pale blue light that somehow outshone the sun it marked an ascending area and there ships canted swiftly swung their blunt noses upward and vanished to the upper levels a mile and more away in a great shaft of green light from which all other craft kept clear a tremendous shape was dropping her hull of silver was striped with a broad red band her multiple helicopters were dazzling flashes in the sunlight the countless dots that were portholes and the larger observation ports must have held numberless eager faces for the oriental express served a cosmopolitan passenger list but walter harkness standing at the window stared out from troubled frowning eyes that saw nothing of the kaleidoscopic scene his back was turned to the group of people in the room and he had no thought of wonders that were prosaic nor passengers eager or blase his thoughts were only of freight and of the acres of flat roofs far in the distance where alternate flashes of color marked the descending area for fast freighters of the air and in his mind, he could see what his eyes could not discern—the markings on those roofs that were enormous landing fields, Harkness Terminals, New York. Only twenty-four. Walt Harkness, owner now of Harkness Incorporated. Dark hair that curled slightly as it left his forehead, eyes that were taking on the intense, straightforward look that had been his father's, and that went straight to the heart of a business proposal with disconcerting directness. But the lips were not set in the hard lines that had marked Harkness Sr. They could still curve into boyish pleasure to mark the enthusiasm that was his. He was not typically the man of business in his dress. His broad shoulders seemed slender in the loose blouse of blue silk. A narrow scarf of brilliant color was loosely tied. The close, full-length, cream-colored trousers were supported by a belt of woven metal, while his shoes were of the coarse mesh fabric that the latest mode demanded. He turned now at the sound of Warrington's voice. E. B. Warrington, counselor at Law, was the name that glowed softly on the door of this spacious office, and Warrington's grey head was nodding as he dated and indexed a document. "'June twentieth, 1973,' he repeated. "'A lucky day for you, Walter. "'Inside of ten years this land will be worth double the fifty million you are paying, "'and it is worth more than that to you.' He turned and handed a document to a heavy-bodied man across from him. "'Here is your copy, Herr Schwartzmann," he said. The man pocketed the paper with a smile of satisfaction thinly concealed on his dark face. Harkness did not reply. He found little pleasure in the look on Schwartzmann's face, and his glance passed on to a fourth man, who sat quietly at one side of the room. Young, his tanned face made bronze by contrast with his close-curling blonde hair, there was no need of the emblem on his blouse to mark him as of the flying service.' Beside the spread wings was the triple star of a master pilot of the world. It carried Chet Bullard past all Earth's air patrols and gave him the freedom of every level. Beside him a girl was seated. She rose quickly now and came toward Harkness with outstretched hand, and Harkness found time in the instant of her coming to admire her grace of movement and the carriage that was almost stately. The mannish attire of a woman of business seemed almost a discordant note. He did not realize that the hard simplicity of her costume had been saved by the soft warmth of its color, and by an indefinable flowing line in the jacket above the rippling folds of an undergarment that gathered smoothly at her knees. He knew only that she made a lovely picture, surprisingly appealing, and that her smile was a compensation for the less pleasing visage of her companion, Schwartzmann. Mademoiselle Vernier, Herr Schwartzmann had introduced her when they came and he had used her given name as he added, "'Mademoiselle Diane is somewhat interested in our projects.' She was echoing Warrington's words, as she took Harkness's hand in a friendly grasp. "'I hope, indeed, that it is the lucky day for you, monsieur. Our modern transportation, it is so marvellous, and I know so little of it. But I am learning. I shall think of you as developing your so splendid properties wonderfully.' Only when she and Schwartzmann were gone did Harkness answer his counsellor's remark. The steady Harkness eyes were again wrinkled about with puckering lines. The shoulders seemed not so square as usual. "'Lucky,' he said. "'I hope you're right. You were father's attorney for twenty years. Your judgment ought to be good, and mine is not entirely worthless.' "'Yes, it is a good deal we have made. Of course it is.' "'It bears every analysis. "'We need that land if we are to expand as we must, "'and the banks will carry me for the twenty million I can't swing. "'But, confound it, Warrington, I've had a hunch, "'and I've gone against it. Schwartzmann has tied me up for ready cash, "'and he represents the biggest competitors we have. "'They're planning something. "'But we need the land.' "'Oh, well, I've signed up. "'The property is mine, but—' "'The counsellor laughed. "'You need a change,' she said. "'I never knew you to worry before. "'Why don't you jump on the China Mail this afternoon? "'It connects with a good line out of Shanghai. "'You can be tramping around the Himalayas tomorrow. "'A day or two there will fix you up.' "'Too busy,' said Harkness. "'Our experimental ship is about ready, "'so I'll go and play with that. "'We'll be shooting at the moon one of these days.' "'The moon,' the other snorted. "'Crazy dreams. "'McKinnis tried it, and you know what happened. "'He came back out of control. "'Couldn't check his speed against the repelling area. "'Shot through and stripped his helicopters off against the heavy air. "'And that other fellow, Haldgren.' "'Yes,' said Harkness quietly. "'Haldgren. "'He didn't fall back. "'He went on into space.' "'Impossible,' the counselor objected. "'He must have fallen unobserved. "'No, no, Walter. "'Be reasonable.' I do not claim to know much about those things. I leave them to the stratosphere control board. But I do know this much, that the lifting effect above the repelling area, what used to be known as the heavyside layer, counteracts gravity's pull. That's why our ships fly as they please when they have shot themselves through. But they have to fly close to it. Its force is dissipated in another ten thousand feet, and the old Earth's pull is still at work. It can't be done, my boy. The vast reaches of space are the next to be conquered harkness broke in and chet and i intend to be in on it he glanced toward the young flyer and they exchanged a quiet smile remember how my father was laughed at when he dared to vision the commerce of to-day crazy dreams warrington that's what they said when dad built the first unit of our plant the landing stages for the big freighters the docks for ocean ships while they lasted the berths for the big submarines that he knew were coming "'They jeered at him then. "'Harkness's Folly, the first plant was called. "'And now, well, you know what we are doing.' "'He laughed softly. "'Leave us our crazy dreams, Warrington,' he protested. "'Sometimes those dreams come true. "'And I'll try to forget my hunch. "'We've bought the property. "'Now we'll make it earn money for us. "'I'll forget it now and work on my new ship. "'Chet and I are about ready for a tryout.' The flyer had risen to join him, and the two turned together to the door where a private lift gave access to the roof. They were halfway to it when the first shock came to throw the two men on the floor. The great framework of the transportation building was swaying wildly as they fell, and the groaning of its wrenched and straining members sounded through the echoing din as every movable object in the room came crashing down. Dazed for the moment, Harkness lay prone— while his eyes saw the nitron illuminator, like a great chandelier, swing widely from the ceiling where it was placed. Its crushing weight started toward him, but a last swing shot it past to the desk of the counselor. Harkness got slowly to his feet. The flyer, too, was able to stand, though he felt tenderly of a bruised shoulder. But where Warrington had been was only the crumpled wreckage of a steeloid desk. "'the shattered bulk of the illuminator upon it "'and beneath the mangled remains "'where flowing blood made a quick pool upon the polished floor. "'Warrington was dead. "'No help could be rendered there, "'and Harkness was reaching for the door. "'The shock had passed, and the building was quiet, "'but he shouted to the flyer and sprang into the lift. "'The air is the place for us,' he said. "'There may be more coming.' "'He jammed over the control lever, "'and the little lift moved. "'What was it?' gasped Bullard. "'Earthquake?' explosion lord what a smash harkness made no reply he was stepping out upon the broad surface of the transportation building he paid no attention to the hurrying figures about him nor did he hear the loud shouting of the newscasting cone that was already bringing reports of the disaster he had thought only for the speedy little ship that he used for his daily travel the golden cylinder was still safe in the grip of its hold-down clutch and its stubby wings and gleaming sextuple-bladed helicopter were intact. Harkness sprang for the control board. He, too, wore an emblem, a silver circle that marked him a pilot of the second class. He could take his ship around the world below the forty level, though at forty thousand and above he must give over control to the younger man. The hiss of the releasing clutch came softly to him as the free signal flashed, and he sank back with a great sigh of relief, as the motors hummed and the blades above leaped into action. Then the stern blast roared, though its sound came faintly through the deadened walls, and he sent the little speedster for the pale blue light of an ascending area, nor did he level off until the gauge before him said twenty thousand. His first thought had been for their own safety in the air, but with it was a frantic desire to reach the great plant of the Harkness terminals. What had happened there? Had there been any damage? Had they felt the shock? A few seconds in level twenty would tell him. He reached the place of alternate flashes where he could descend, and the little ship fell smoothly down. Below him, the great expanse of buildings took form, and they seemed safe and intact. His intention was to land, till the slim hands of Chet Bullard thrust him roughly aside and reached for the controls. It was Bullard's right. A master pilot could take control at any time. But Harkness stared in amazement as the other lifted the ship, then swung it out over the expanse of ocean beyond, stared until his own eyes followed those of Chet Bullard, to see the wall of water that was sweeping toward the land. Chet, he knew, had held them in a free space level, where they could maneuver as they pleased. But he knew, too, that the pilot's hands were touching levers that swung them at a quite unlawful speed past other ships and that swept them down in a great curve above the ocean's broad expanse. Harkness did not at once grasp the meaning of the thing. There was the water, sparkling clear, and a monstrous wave that lifted itself up to mountainous heights. Behind it the ocean's blue became a sea of mud, and only when he glanced at their ground-speed detector did he sense that the watery mountain was hurling itself upon the shore with the swiftness of a great superliner. There were the out-thrusting capes that made a safe harbor for the commerce that came on, and beneath the waters to the Harkness terminals. The wave built itself up to still greater heights as it came between them. They were riding above it by a thousand feet, and Walter Harkness, in sudden knowledge of what this meant, stared with straining eyes at the wild thing that raced with them underneath. He must do something, anything, to check the monster, to flatten out the onrushing mountain. The red bottom plates of a submarine freighter came rolling up behind the surge to show how futile was the might of man. And the next moment marked the impact of the wall of water upon a widespread area of landing roofs, where giant letters stared mockingly at him to spell the words Harkness Terminals, New York. He saw the silent crumbling of great buildings. He glimpsed in one wild second the whirling helicopters on giant freighters that took the air too late he saw them vanish as the sea swept in and engulfed them and then after endless minutes he knew that chet had swung again above the site of his plant and he saw the stumps of steel and twisted wreckage that remained the pilot hung the ship in air a golden beetle softly humming as it hovered above the desolate scene Chet had switched on the steady buzz of the stationary ship's signal, and the wireless warning was swinging passing craft out and around their station. Within the quiet cabin a man stood to stare and stare, unspeaking, until his pilot laid a friendly hand upon the broad shoulders. "'You're cleaned,' said Chet Bullard. "'It's a washout. But you'll build it up again. They can't stop you.' But the steady appraising eyes of Walter Harkness had moved on and on to a rippling stretch of water— "'where land had been before. "'Cleaned,' he responded tonelessly. "'And then some. "'And I could start again, but—' "'He paused to point to the stretch of New Sea, "'and his lips moved that he might laugh long and harshly. "'But right there is all I own. "'That is, the land I bought this morning. "'It is gone. "'And I owe twenty million to the hardest-hearted bunch of creditors in the world.' "'that foreign crowd, who've been planning to invade our territory here. "'You know what chance I'll have with them.' "'The disaster was complete, and Walter Harkness was facing it, "'facing it with steady gray eyes and a mind "'that was casting a true balance of accounts. "'He was through,' he told himself. "'His other holdings would be seized to pay for this waste of water "'that an hour before had been dry land. "'They would strip him of his last dollar, "'his lips curved into a sardonic smile.' "'June 20th, 1973,' he repeated. "'Poor old Warrington. "'He called this my lucky day.' "'The pilot had respected the other man's need of silence, "'but his curiosity could not be longer restrained. "'What's back of it all?' he demanded. "'What caused it? "'The shock was like no earthquake I've ever known, "'and this tidal wave.' "'He was reaching for a small switch. "'He turned a dial to the words "'News Service General,' "'and the instrument broke into hurried speech.' It told of earth shocks in many places. The whole world had felt it, some tremendous readjustment among the inner stresses of the earth, most serious on the Atlantic seaboard. The great Harkness terminals destroyed, some older buildings in the business district shaken down, loss of life not yet computed. But what did it? Jet Bullard was repeating in the cabin of their floating ship. A tremendous shake-up like that! Harkness silenced him with a quick gesture of his hand. Another voice had broken in to answer the pilot's question. "'The mystery is solved,' said the new voice. "'This is the radio news representative speaking from Calcutta. We are in communication with the Allied observatories on Mount Everest. At 11 p.m., World Standard Time, Professor Boyle observed a dark body in transit across the moon.' According to Boyle, a non-luminous and non-reflecting asteroid has crashed into the Earth's gravitational field. A dark moon has joined this celestial grouping and is now swinging in an orbit about the Earth. It is this that has disturbed the balance of internal stresses within the Earth. A dark moon, Chet Bullard broke in, but again a movement from Harkness silenced his exclamations. Whatever of dull apathy had gripped young Harkness was gone. No thought now of the devastation below them that spelled his financial ruin. Some greater, more gripping idea had now possessed him. The instrument was still speaking. Without light of its own, nor does it reflect the sun's light as does our own moon, this phenomenon as yet is unexplained. It is nearer than our own moon, and smaller, but of tremendous density.' Harkness nodded his head quickly at that, and his eyes were alive with an inner enthusiasm not yet expressed in words. It is believed that the worst is over. More minor shocks may follow, but the cause is known. The mystery is solved. Out from the velvet dark of space has come a small new world to join us. The voice ceased. Walter Harkness had opened the switch. "'The mystery is solved,' Chet Bullard repeated. "'Solved?' "'exclaimed the other from his place at the controls. "'Man, it is only begun.' "'He depressed a lever, and a muffled roar "'marked their passage to a distant shaft of blue, "'where he turned the ship on end, "'and shot like a giant shell for the higher air. "'There was northbound travel at thirty-five, "'and northward Harkness would go, but he shot straight up. "'At forty thousand, he motioned the master pilot "'to take over the helm. "'Clear through,' he ordered. "'Up into the liner lanes.' then north for our own shop. Nor did he satisfy the curiosity in Chet Bullard's eyes by so much as a word, until some hours later when they floated down. An icy waste was beneath them, where the subpolar regions were wrapped in the mantle of their endless winter. Here ships never passed, northward over the pole were liner lanes in the higher levels, but here was a deserted sector, and here Walter Harkness had elected to carry on his experiments.' A rise of land showed gaunt and black, and the pilot was guiding the ship in a long slant upon it. He landed softly beside a building in a sheltered, snow-filled valley. Harkness shivered as he stepped from the warmth of their insulated cabin, and he fumbled with shaking fingers to touch the combination upon the locked door. It swung open, to close behind the men as they stood in the warm, brightly lighted room. Nitro illuminators were hung from the ceiling, their diffused brilliance shining down to reflect in sparkling curves and ribbons of light from a silvery shape. It stood upon the floor, a metal cylinder a hundred feet in length, whose blunt ends showed dark openings of gaping ports. There were other open ports above and below, and irregular spacing about the rounded sides. No helicopters swung their blades above. There were only the bulge of a conning tower and the heavy inset glasses of the lookouts, nor were there wings of any kind. It might have been a projectile for some mammoth gun. Harkness stood in silence before it, until he turned to smile at the still-wondering pilot. "'Jet?' he said. "'It's about finished and ready, just in time. We built it, you and I, freighted in the parts ourselves, and assembled every piece. We've even built the shop. Lucky the big steeloid plates are so easily handled. And you and I are the only ones that know.' Every ship in the air-lanes of the world is driven by detonite, and we have evolved a super-detonite. We have proved that it will work. It will carry us beyond the pull of gravitation. It will give us the freedom of outer space. It is ours, and ours alone. No, the other corrected slowly, it is yours. You have paid the bills, and you have paid me. Paid me well. I'm paying no more, Harkness told him. I'm broke, right this minute. I haven't a dollar. And yet— "'I say now that poor Warrington was right. "'This is my lucky day.' "'He laughed aloud at the bewilderment on the pilot's face. "'Chet,' he said slowly, "'and his voice was pitched to a more serious tone. "'Out there is a new world, the dark moon. "'Tremendous density,' they said. "'That means it can hold an atmosphere of its own. "'It means new metals, new wealth. "'It means a new little world to explore. "'And it's out there waiting for us, waiting for us. "'We will be the first for here is the ship that will take us it isn't mine chet it's ours and the adventure is ours yours and mine both we only meant to go a few hundred miles at first but here's something big we may never come back it's a long chance that we're taking but you're in on it-if you want to go he paused the expression in the eyes of chet bullard master pilot of the world was answer enough but chet amplified it with explosive words "'Am I in on it?' he demanded. "'Try to count me out. "'Just try to do it.' "'I was game for a trial flight out beyond, "'and now with a real objective to shoot at, a new world.' "'His words failed him. "'Walt Harkness knew that the hand the other extended "'was thrust forth blindly. "'He gripped at it hard "'while he turned to look at the shining ship. "'But his inner gaze passed far beyond the gleaming thing of metal, "'off into a realm of perpetual night. "'Out there a new world was waiting.' a dark moon, and there they might find, but his imagination failed him there. He could only thrill with the adventure that the unknown held. End of chapter 1